Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Politics are a big topic right now, and politicians, public leaders, they do fail. How does Christ's interaction with these leaders show us something different? What is Christ's role in politics? You're listening to Jesus and the Political Leaders by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 15. I'll read verses 1 through 20. And for those of you who are visiting and for those of you who have forgotten, this is uh, our sermon series is uh, Christ Alone is the name of the sermon series. And what we're doing is we're walking through the Gospel of Mark on the way towards the cross. And as we go, we're watching as Jesus comes into contact with human groups and institutions. And so far, we've looked at Jesus' interaction with religious leaders, with the crowds, with his family. And today, we're going to see Jesus interacting with the political leaders, the governmental authorities. And we see that in his political trial described here in Mark. Listen. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You've said so, Jesus replied. Chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was a custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder during the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Oh, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? He asked. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together a whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they all began to call out, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff, and he spit on him. Falling to their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. This is the word of the Lord. So my sermon this morning is called, maybe you saw the title, You've already heard me refer to the subject, Jesus and the political leaders, Jesus and the political leaders. And let us admit together that this is the sort of um, title that could cause uh, people to be set on edge a little bit. 
Maybe members are saying, oh no, political leaders, are we going to talk politics in this sermon? And maybe some of you families who came along because you're part of the Calvin Christian community and you're relatives of some of these beautiful people in the choir, maybe you're saying, oh no, is that what they do at the grave, talk about politics from the pulpit? Oh. Well, let me assure you that this will not be a political sermon. This will be a gospel sermon. And if that's not true at the end, that's my fault. But let me also say that if you have any of that sort of consternation in you when you saw the title or heard the topic, that tells us something about the shape of our times and it tells us something about the shape of our hearts. It tells us that we are living in a time where people are enormously concerned about politics. That there are very few things in this world that have the capacity to grab our attention and gain our passion than political leaders. Here's just an example. So in my sermon last week, which was not political, I promise, um, I mentioned two controversial political events back to back. Those of you who are here remember. I mentioned the Black Lives Matter riots that happened two years ago in downtown Grand Rapids, and I mentioned the January 6th assault on the Capitol. And let me just say that as soon as I mentioned those things, the quality of attention and listening in this room got much, much stronger, right? All of a sudden, if there was someone who was sort of fiddling in their purse, they were like, what? And you can see that up here. It's true. And this is what happens. When you, any, anytime you talk about politics, this is true. You, you know, attention from the congregation is cruising around at a, you know, a six, maybe on a good day a seven. You mention politics, goes to ten, buries the needle every time. What does that tell us about the shape of our hearts? It tells us that so much of our hopes is tied up in our political leaders and in their policies, and in their governments. We have a strong belief that our leaders, our politicians, can either make our lives much, much better or make our lives much, much worse. And so we put an enormous amount of attention in them. It's become the way we divide our world, right? It's become the way we decide who's on our side and who's against us, who we can trust and who we cannot trust. It even has become who we want to marry our children and who we don't. That's why attention goes up so high whenever we talk about politics. We put so much stock in it. Even though it's a, it's a potential minefield, I am going to talk about it this morning because uh, Mark talks about it. It's part of the Holy Spirit's message to us in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus runs into political leaders. He has encounters with political leaders, and the Holy Spirit can teach us something through these encounters. So today, as we look at the encounters that Jesus has with political leaders in Mark, I'm going to break it up into two parts. First, I'm going to look at the political leaders and how they act in these interactions. And then I'm going to look at Jesus and how he acts in these interactions. So let's start with the political leaders. And before we do that, let us admit, let us acknowledge that in the Bible, um, God clearly intends us to have government, okay? God intends there to be such a thing as political leaders. Romans 13. Let everyone, says Paul, be subject to the governing authorities, 
for there's no authority except which God has established, right? So God establishes governmental authorities and he intends for them to exist. And if you read more deeply in Revelation, not Revelation, Romans 13, and a psalm like Psalm 72, which is a psalm of coronation, if you read Psalm 72, and it's worth a look, it's David talking about what the king should be, the duties of a king in Israel. If you look at those two psalms, if you look at Psalm 72 and uh, Romans 13, you get a pretty decent idea of what God calls a governmental leader to do. And there's sort of three broad things as you look at scripture. Do justice, right? Create a world where people are treated fairly, especially the weak. Right? Psalm 72 calls upon the king of Israel to judge the people with righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. So make good laws and be especially careful to take care of the weak. And second, governments are called to enforce and keep those laws. Romans 13 talks about governments being given the sword to punish wrongdoers, the power of the sword to punish wrongdoers. So you've got to enforce the laws and make sure wrongdoing is punished. So basically, system of courts of some kind and law enforcement. And the other thing that you get, third thing from reading scripture, is that some sense of a military. God's leaders are called to protect God's people from their enemies. Okay? So broadly speaking, very broad, military, law enforcement, and good just laws. The Bible doesn't suggest a system for that happening. It doesn't say there's only one way to do this, but it certainly says that when God makes you a political leader, these are the things you need to take care of. Okay, that brings us to Mark. How do the political leaders follow that call in Mark? What about Pilate? Does Pilate do what God calls a governmental leader to do? Does he practice justice and take care of the weak? Eh, not so much, right? He knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows justice in this situation. You read the passage, it's very clear. He knows that the religious leaders have handed Jesus over for self-interest. And he says to the crowd, what crime has he committed? He knows Jesus is in innocent, but he hands Jesus over anyway. Why does it seem like he does that? Because he's afraid of the crowds? Because he wants to have favor with the religious leaders? Because he wants to keep his power, right? Pilate has a choice between doing justice, what he knows to be right, obviously, and keeping his power and looking good in front of the people. What does he choose? He chooses self-interest and self-preservation. There's another agent of governmental authority in the passage I just read. Who are they? The soldiers. Right? Soldiers are instruments of government. Do they follow their call as public servants in this passage? Again, no. There are lots of people who served as soldiers over the years, and many of those people have been great public servants. They have behaved with dignity. They've behaved heroically. They've been people we justly celebrate. But throughout history, especially in wartime, there have also been soldiers who did things that were enormously cruel. And unfortunately, the soldiers in this story take up that mantle. They show the worst of human power. They torture and humiliate Jesus. Why do they do that? Why do those soldiers do that? 
Because they can. Because Jesus is weak, and they're strong, and they just feel like it. They show the darkest part of the human soul. There's one other story in Scripture, in Mark, where the followers of Jesus come into contact with a political authority. That's when John the Baptist is put in jail by King Herod. How does Herod do in that story? Does Herod behave justly? Again, obviously not. He puts John the Baptist in jail because John the Baptist has said some nasty things about his marriage, which are justified, by the way. And then he's having a party, and he's getting a little drunk, and his stepdaughter dances, and she dances really well. And feeling a little tipsy, he says, I'll give you anything you want, anything, Salome, wonderful. And she asks for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And again, you read the story in Mark. It's clear he knows this is unjust. It says, he was greatly distressed by her request, but he does it. Why does he do it? He does it because of the oaths he made and his dinner guests. Justice, saving face, self-interest. Herod chooses self-interest and self-preservation. Does any of this sound familiar? When we complain about our governmental leaders, and when we have complained about our governmental leaders throughout history, it's exactly this kind of sin that they commit. Because this is the presenting sin of governmental and political leaders. This is the sin that they're most prone to. Holding on to power at the expense of justice. Choosing self-interest and self-preservation instead of doing what they know is right. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all politicians are like this. I'm not. I'm not saying all public servants are like this. They're not. There are lots of people who are in public service who do great and lovely work. There are members of this church who serve in government, past and present, who have been great public servants. But unfortunately, there are too many stories where self-interest comes ahead of justice. And that's because political leaders are human beings like us. And just like we fail, they fail, and fail to live up to their calling. So the political leaders in this story act like fallen human beings. They let Jesus down. They let God's people down along the way. How about Jesus? Let's look at him in this encounter. What is his relationship to political authority? Now, we're going to answer that question. We've got to look at that, the, the question, that first question that Pilate asked Jesus when the trial starts. Are you the king of the Jews? This is such an important question, right? It's essentially the accusation of the trial, right? That's what Jesus is accused of being a revolutionary. And so Pilate is asking Jesus, are, are, you, you, know, are, you, are you trying to take over my, my governorship? Are you trying to overthrow Caesar? Are you the king of the Jews? You know it's an important question, and I just realized that this, this week, that question starts Jesus' trial in all four Gospels. Often the Gospels tell the story of Jesus' crucifixion very differently. and all kinds of other points, they're very different. But on this point, they absolutely agree. It all starts with the same question. Are you the king of the Jews? And in fact, it's exactly the same in the Greek. Sue hos basileos judeos? Are you the king of the Jews? All four Gospels. And in three of the four, Jesus' answer is exactly the same. Sulege, 
That's what you say. It's such an important question because Pilate is essentially asking Jesus a question that we're always worried about. What is the relationship of Jesus to politics? What is your relationship, Jesus, to my kingdom, my governorship? What do we make of Jesus' answer? Well, he doesn't say, yes, I am the king of Jews, but he doesn't say no either. And that's because the answer is both yes and no. I mean, on one side of it, Jesus is absolutely not the king of the Jews. I'm not here to overthrow you, Pilate. I'm not here to overthrow Caesar. I'm not a political king. But on the other side, the answer is absolutely yes. Of course, I'm the king of the Jews. Of course, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the Messiah. He's the son of David. He's, he's the descendant of the kings of Israel. He is absolutely the king of the Jews. Sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence she shall come to judge the living and the dead. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says at the end of Matthew. Not just in heaven, but on earth too. So Jesus is not a political king, but he's absolutely interested in everything in the political realm. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of the lords. At the end of Revelation, the kings of the earth bring their tribute into the holy city and lay them at his feet, suggesting that they are subject to him and they owe him something. And all that work that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, the things that kings are called to do, do justice, take care of the weak, law enforcement, protection. Jesus is profoundly interested in those things. He's interested in shalom. He's interested in judgment. He's interested in taking care of the weak. That's his work. Jesus may not be, strictly speaking, a political king, but every political entity, every governor, every president, every king, every police officer, every soldier, every judge stands before his throne and their work is answerable to his kingship. And not only that, just as we said that these earthly political leaders fail in Mark and will continue to fail us on earth, in contrast to them, Jesus is the one who will bring that shalom, who will bring that justice, who will make all things new. And an amazing twist of his providence, even things like the evil torture that he undergoes from the soldiers will be worked through his grace into something glorious. So as we watch Pilate and Jesus standing together, the question that I have for you all here today is, which king are you going to choose? Pilate or Jesus? Well, this is church, so you know the answer. It's Jesus, right? It's always Jesus. But not so fast, because Pilate has his charms. Pilate has right now power. Pilate has money. Pilate can give commands. Pilate can get things done right now. What does Jesus offer you? A crown of thorns? Suffering? This slow way of redemption? Pilate or Jesus? It brings us back to the observation I made at the beginning of this sermon. That we put so much of our hope in politics. We put so much attention on who our political leaders are. 
which suggests that we're choosing Pilate more often than we think. How much time do you spend watching political news every day? Do you spend more than an hour? Between news channels, your phone, newspapers, do you spend, I mean, unless you're in the business of politics, do you spend more than an hour every day? If you do, may I gently, gently suggest to you that you're spending too much time at Pilate's throne? Do not put your trust in princes and mortal men who cannot save. Psalm 146. I'm not saying don't be interested in politics or don't be concerned. By all means, we need to be concerned about politics. But your hope is in Jesus. And it's so important that every single day we anchor our hope in Jesus. Be interested in politics. Put your hope in King Jesus. Anchor yourself there. And then go out into the world and be good citizens and do your work and call for justice, but do it knowing where your hope lies. I hope you're getting or starting to get, if you've been here for all of them, the theme of this sermon series, Christ Alone. That's why we, it's the name of the sermon series. I hope you're beginning to see why we called it that. Because the pattern is, as Jesus comes into contact with all these groups and institutions, every single one of them fails him. Families are great. Jesus' family fails him. The crowds are initially great. Crowds fail him. Religious leaders are pretty good. Religious leaders fail him completely. There is only one upon whom we can stand. Only one rock which does not move. Only one person whom we know will bring the justice and peace and flourishing that we need so badly in this world. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our firm foundation, our King. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are our King. We come before your throne again today. We kneel at your feet and we ask that you will help us again to Come out of this world where the chaos of things is sometimes overwhelming, where the saber-rattling of political leaders scares us. Lord, help us to kneel at your throne and know that you are Lord and all things are in your hand. And then send us from this place as people who are ready to work for your justice and your righteousness in this world. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.